HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Cutting the Curd has been brought to you by Academy Opus Cassius. The Academy Opus Cassius is the cheese industry's unique center for professional development, offering both practical and classroom training in the heart of France. For more information, visit academy-mons.com. That's A-C-A-D-E-M-I-E-M-O-N-S.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. This is Diane Stemple joining you again on Cutting the Curd. I'm delighted to be back on the radio and today to be interviewing Sasha Davies, who wrote The Cheesemaker's Apprentice. Uh, Sasha, are you on the line yet? I'm here. Hi, Sasha. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm very good. It's a gorgeous day in New York. It's even acting like spring. How about in Portland? Same thing, actually. It's supposed to get up to 80, 80 degrees today, so definitely like spring on steroids out here. Oh, you're ahead of us. You're, we're lucky for 70. Anyway, so, um, so Sasha wrote a book that came out the end of 2012 called The Cheesemaker's Apprentice. She's also written The Guide to West Coast Cheese, more than 300 cheeses handcra- handcrafted in California, Oregon, and Washington. She's on the board of the American Cheese Society, and she recently opened Cyril's at Clay Pigeon Winery, which is a cheese and wine bar in Portland, Oregon. Am I correct? Yeah. I should have you write all my bios. (laughs) (laughs) I could go on to say how you trained in New York, but uh, I'll leave that to you for later. Anyway, um, I have a lot of questions about the book, and later we're going to be joined by Yoav Perry, who's made a little of the cheese from the book. But I'm wondering, how did you come to write this book? Oh, I uh, was very lucky in that this book is part of a larger series done by the publisher. Mm-hmm. And they, so they had done the Pastry Chef's Apprentice, the Vintner's Apprentice, and the Fishmonger's Apprentice. Mm-hmm. And they were looking to do a book about cheese making. And I was, I think that the publisher actually reached out to Culture Magazine, figuring that they would be aware of different um, people in the industry who might have the right mix of background and skills to do a book like that. Mm -hmm. And 
I think it was the um, someone from Culture uh, recommended me, and I think that a big part of that was because of the interviews with um, cheesemakers and experts from around the world. Um, because my husband and I had done a project called Cheese by Hand where we went around the United States and did just that, interviewed artisan cheesemakers all over the country. So I think that was that could have been something that tipped the scales mm-hmm, um, that made in you- my favor. But I know from my initial conversations with the publisher, I took one look at the books they had already done and just thought they were great. I mm-hmm. genuinely uh, thought that they were instructive, attractive. Mm-hmm. There was just a lot to, to like about them to me. So it was a very easy project to say yes to. Mm. And you're, you're perfectly qualified for it, especially with the having already done so many interviews. Well, thanks. Um, now, just to explain to people who have not yet seen the book, it's uh, a set of directions and recipes for cheesemaking, I guess for the home cheesemaker, but certainly an increasingly sophisticated home cheesemaker, but they're interspersed with in-depth but very focused interviews of various cheese experts, celebrities, cheesemakers all around the world. Would you say that's a good description? That's a great description, yeah. Now, what amazes me about the book is the interviews are so intense and focused and specific. Did you... Um, pick which person would speak on which topic, or did they come from longer interviews? They, so those are both great questions. So the once we decided to organize the chapters of the book around styles of cheese, mm-hmm. my charge was then to determine, okay, if I were someone at home and I were making cheddar, what are some of the, just to use it as an example, mm-hmm. what are some of the challenges I might run into or kind of interesting aspects of cheddar production or the history of cheddar making that could inform something I would change in my home cheese making setup? Mm-hmm. And I would pick someone always someone that I was really interested in uh, sort of innately and do an interview with them that uh, where I covered a range of topics and definitely those interviews were much longer than what you see there so one of the most challenging parts of putting this book together for for my piece of the work was to edit down those interviews and decide which piece of an amazing hour and a half long conversation, which is pages and pages once you've transcribed it, right. to kind of list out and offer up in the book as really the most useful and instructive or just really interesting part. Mm-hmm. And some of the interviews, as you know from doing interviews, took surprising and interesting turns, and I ended up including text about topics that I hadn't even necessarily conceived of mm-hmm. uh, when I reached out to the person to do the interview. Mm-hmm. Are those the more scientific interviews? Yes, yeah. sure. Oh, absolutely, yes. So the, the ones where you're talking to a cheesemaker and asking them how they got started making a, a, being a cheesemaker, period, and then what led them to a particular style, and do they have any memory of real moments of you know, light bulb going on kind of revelation about that particular cheese, because those are things that 
it could take a home cheesemaker 10 years to get to because they're not making cheese every day. Right. Someone who's even been doing it for a year but doing it every day, they will have learned some hard lessons. Right. So I was trying to get at those, but with some of the, you know, interviewing, for example, Rachel Dutton from um, Harvard or Yvonne Larcher, who's an international cheese consultant, both of whom have a an understanding of the science going on in cheese making well beyond my capacity for understanding, let alone something I could communicate within um, two pages of text. Well, yeah. it was certainly beyond my capacity for understanding, <laughs> but it was really well um, elaborated so I could almost understand it. And I think that's been always one of your strengths as a teacher and as a cheese friend to be able to explain more complicated uh, biological things that are going on in cheese to other people. Cool. So the book does that too, or you, you somehow distill from the interviews things that make you able to understand you know, the use of cultures and starters where you thought it was beyond you. Right, right. Anyway, did you do the interviews in person or on the phone? No, I did almost all of them on the phone. And, you know, I record it, would record the conversation and then transcribe it and then work on editing it. It's really, to me, it's incredibly important when you are interviewing someone like that in such a focused way where you're going to print an entire conversation with them, I think it's incredibly important to have it word for word what they said. Mm -hmm. I don't like paraphrasing what other people say, especially when you get into areas of information where you are trying to understand them as well. I don't trust myself to make a shortcut when I'm describing a microbial community growing on a washed rind cheese. I really want to just take exactly what they said in response to my question Mm -hmm. and print that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you probably have a whole other book up your sleeve with the leftover parts. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I did, it would be really fun, actually, to to print some outtakes. Right, but really, right. I mean, I ended up printing some of my favorite, favorite things. And I actually think if only the quality of the audio recording was better, uh-huh. it actually would be amazing to have, like, the first, uh, interview that comes to mind that I feel like this about is the one with Giorgio Crevero because uh-huh. he has that stereotypical high drama sing songy Italian uh, way of speaking, and he just said some amazing things. You mm-hmm. know, when I would ask him, "What is it that makes Parmigiano Reggiano so special?" Mm-hmm. and you know, he would answer me with things like, "I don't want to tell you a poem." But it's God, you know, and I could print that because he said it. So they're definitely, I always figured out how to get what I thought was sort of one of the most illuminating uh, uh, statements, Uh uh, really showing you kind of who that person is and what drives them. I always tried to work those in. Uh Now, Um, one of the examples of that is when uh, Helen Feet, confesses that she has a love-hate relationship with her pH meter. (laughs) I felt that captured, like, the question of science versus artistry in cheesemaking perfectly. Oh, yeah. And it was was really interesting. I definitely, with the cheesemakers, I asked them some of the same questions. For example, that that question right there, I asked every cheesemaker what they felt was their most 
important tool in the cheese-making room. Uh-huh. And I was shocked. Some of them were, like, totally perplexed by the question. They just didn't understand what I was getting at. And they said, you mean, like, the vat? And I said, well, that's a little obvious, but okay. <laughs> I meant more like, is there something a home cheesemaker would not want to be without that would really help them? And, you know, I think Maureen uh, Cooney from... Cowgirl Creamery ended up talking about an instant read thermometer because Mm -hmm. seconds make a difference and you don't want to wait for a minute for your thermometer to register and settle on a temperature. And it might be too late. Helen was just so great. She's, she really is one of my favorite people in the industry because she is so completely both professional and completely honest Mm -hmm. about how, uh, how vulnerable it makes her feel to make a product and give it to people, you know, who are then going to taste it and judge. Mm-hmm. It's really, and I think that that part she has, she has figured out how to navigate that part herself personally, so it's not so, um, uh, so it doesn't throw her off quite as much. But she still really experiences that nervousness and that kind of shyness or mm-hmm. self consciousness, and I. I like being reminded of that mm-hmm. when I think about these products that, you know, that I sell and that I like to eat mm-hmm. and share with other people, too. So Her personality comes through. And another yeah. charming personality is going to interrupt us briefly to give a shout-out for his Pastoral Artisan Cheese event this weekend. Greg O'Neill, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Do you hear me? Yes, I do. It's Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd, and we have Sasha Davies, too, who I believe is a good friend of yours. We might know each other, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. How are you? Great. We're getting How are very you? excited. All the cheesemakers are arriving to town, and the winemakers and the brewers, and we've got 90 producers coming to Chicago tomorrow for our uh, third annual um, Pastoral Artisan Producer Festival. It looks absolutely great online. I'm so sorry I'm not in Chicago to be there. Well, hopefully next year. We've, um, we're expecting up to 15,000 people. And it's the largest event of its kind in uh, Chicagoland. Um, it's really exciting because um, it's a wonderful crowd. Um, it's an opportunity to meet uh, the people who make the, the food and beverages that people purchase at the French market from Pastoral and others all, you know, all year long. And what's nice about it is that we have um, uh, folks coming from overseas and also from all over the United States, um, about 30 cheesemakers coming, which Great. is exciting. And I hear and it's free. It is free. And um, it's what's really beautiful is that the, the people who attend are very respectful and very into the stories, not just getting a free sample of something, but also learning why and what goes into it. And um, I remember John Loomis from Zingerman's Creamery uh, said last year it was like the best event that he went to all year because he felt like people actually appreciated what he was doing and why he did it and asked great questions. Mm-hmm. So I guess that encouraged his boss to come this year because R.E. Weinswag is going to be one of our uh, people uh, giving a program on artisan cheese from the stage. And mm-hmm. got some. Uh, we're going to be uh, breaking down a heritage pig in advance of Cochon 555 here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And so it's uh, tomorrow from 11 until 3 in Chicago. Anybody who's in the uh, general uh, driving distance to Chicago is most welcome. And it's Every at the Chicago it's French Market? The Chicago French Market, which is 131 North Clinton Street at mm-hmm. Randolph and Clinton. And it's always the last Saturday in April every year. Uh, 
So um, if not this year, then next year. Okay. Well, great. Thanks, Greg, for joining us. And we're going to take a break, and we'll be back with Sasha and our guest, Yoav Perry, after the break. You're listening to Favorite Flower by Pamela Royale on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hey, Sasha, are you... The Academy Opus Cassius is the cheese industry's unique center for professional development, offering both practical and classroom training for cheese professionals ready to move their careers to the next level. When you come to learn at the Academy, we instill our love for cheese, our expertise, and our experience so that you can support artisanal producers, impeccably care for the fine cheeses you carry, and serve your customers with skill and enthusiasm. We integrate hands-on practice, formal instruction, and classroom discussion in all of our courses. The Academy's programs are offered at the Mons Fromagerie in the heart of France, where cheese undergoes affinage and cheeses are received, prepared, and shipped. Several Mons retail shops are nearby. The surrounding countryside is the home to producers whose excellent cheeses are cared for by the Mons team. The Mons cheese business has more than 50 years' experience caring for and teaching about cheese in France, a country known as the source of some of the world's greatest cheeses, deepest cheese tradition, and the highest level of technological research and rigor in cheese making and ripening. The Academy has been recognized by the American Cheese Society as the first approved education center for those preparing for the certified cheese professional exam. Enroll now for Essential Foundations for Cheese Professionals or Affinage, the Art and Science of Maturing Cheese. For more information, visit www.academy-mons.com That's A-C-A-D-E-M-I-E-M-O-N-S.com Certified Cheese Professional is a registered trademark of the American Cheese Society. Hi, we're back on Cutting the Curd with Sasha Davies, author of The Cheesemaker's Apprentice, and now we're being joined by Yoav Perry. Hi, Yoav. Hello, hello, hello. And he is an increasingly serious cheesemaker, way beyond the, you know, home cheesemaker, I would say, and he's also the founder of Artisan Geek, which is an online merchant for cheesemaking supplies found at artisangeek.com. So, Yoav, what were your favorite parts of the book and favorite interviews in the book? I really love the interviews. You love the interviews? I I, I did, because I think it brings this whole aspect into into cheesemaking for people who don't actually... A lot of people get into cheesemaking. They don't really know what this is, what this is about, what it takes to actually make cheese and to to sell it, and the whole. It's such a huge chain of events from microbes to to plate, you know, through markets and and uh, all the interesting personalities and everything that happens. And people, I think, kind of maybe a lot of people take it for granted. They don't know what it is until they really get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the interviews kind of bring to light all these amazing aspect of, of cheese making that, you know, someone who's just approaching cheese now um, would probably be very surprised to to learn about. Mm-hmm. Do you think it would be intimidating to the home cheesemaker? <laughs> you know, I don't think the home cheesemaker is going to uh, um, dig a huge uh, 
tunnel under his house. Uh, <laughs> so that's probably not going to be uh, um, the issue. And I think, you know, I've been working a lot with with um, with home cheese makers from all over the world, and they they call me up with you know advices about uh, what microbes to use and things like that. And it always starts out with, you know, I'm just going to make a 30-minute mozzarella, and then it ends up, you know, two or three years later where they're, like, ripening with the most exotic bacteria in, mm -hmm. like, these crazy caves that they build in their house. And um, so someone who starts out never think that they're going to go that far with it, but it's so, I guess, addictive that, you know, um, it's not overwhelming. I think it just it's a really good introduction to uh, just a fantastic range of, mm -hmm. of things that are cheese that you may have not figured out that all these mm -hmm. things belong together as one ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Now, Sasha, how many people do, did, did your publisher or do you have any uh, statistics on how many people are making cheese at home? Oh, that is such a good question. Uh, I don't have a statistic off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like we looked at some general statistics about the rise of artisan cheese mm -hmm. combined with the interest in do-it-yourself almost everything right. that is also ever-increasing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And probably in Portland and Brooklyn more than anywhere else in, in the United States, where we're speaking to two different communities that do it a lot. Yeah, I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. I don't, again, zero statistics to support that. And those two cities are definitely often featured mm -hmm. in the media repeatedly as places where there is an incredible amount of enthusiasm for making your own jam, bicycle, mm -hmm. chicken mm -hmm. coop, right. cheese. Right. Yes, right. Right. absolutely. Now, what, one of the um, interesting interviews that I thought was, I, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, I, Ivan Larcher. Yes. He talked about how 80% of cheesemakers, and I think he was talking about all cheesemakers, using the same starters. Why is that? Mm. Well, I think, so in, uh, it's funny, I just uh, I had a piece that I wrote kind of on that same topic or inspired by that conversation with Yvonne, mm -hmm. uh, running the spring issue of Culture Magazine. So uh -huh. I was really curious once he made that comment, and he definitely seemed to be incredibly concerned about this loss of biodiversity in cultures. Right. He I thinks it's a, it's a bad really idea. True. What's that, thing? He thinks it's a bad idea that everyone's using the same starters. Uh, and, and I'm sorry, if I, if I may, I, I concur. Oh, you concur. <laughs> yeah, okay. and, and I'm a culture dealer. I, I, mm -hmm. I'm a dealer of all the major brands of culture, and I still concur. There is mm -hmm. something upsetting about people talking about how local their cheese is, and then they crack open a sachet of, of starter bacteria that was isolated from the plants of someone else and the, the, the land of someone else and the animals and the breeds of someone else uh, from different places in Europe, and they put it in their cheese, and then you get, is that local cheese? I'm not completely sure. Um, yeah, it's such a good it's such a good question, and I found it to be a fascinating conversation. So, mm -hmm. you know, and Yoav, I'm sure you could have talked to Yvonne for days about it too. <laughs> sure. uh, and then, what was interesting was also getting a different perspective on that question. You know, because I was ready to go out and like start a vault like they do to save seeds. I was thinking like we need a place to save all these cultures that are going to die. 
And really, when you start, you know, I had a great conversation with a gentleman named Dave Potter, who has a business that's supplied many, many home cheesemakers, many of whom have evolved to become commercial cheesemakers, right. and they continue to supply them. His company is called The Dairy Connection, and he talked about having worked in the culture industry for the past oh, at least 25, if not 30 years, and he talked about the amount of consolidation that's mm-hmm. happened mm-hmm. and just issues in the marketplace. So, so you know, there is this um, interesting uh, conflict between people saying they want something local and then also saying they want something that's consistent and tastes the same every time. Mm-hmm. Right? So, uh, and I don't know that that's something that the general public uh, is aware has of. been educated enough to understand why those things might be at odds. Well, it is it is the price of, of consistency. And by the way, I know I know the the guys at Dairy Connection. We work a lot yeah. together. Um, but it's you know it's just the price of consistency. You you know you get a culture. You it's very safe. It's very predictable. It's uh, you know it works exactly you know how it's supposed to work, and it produces exactly the same taste. But you know it's it's a problem too. So it's reliable. You it's, like it because it's reliable. It's insanely reliable, mm-hmm. and it's and it you know they last for a long time. You know you just throw it in the milk, and there you go. You produce the flavor of the Savoie. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know if you are in upstate New York, what are you doing with the flavor mm-hmm. the, of the Savoie in your cheese? Another right. point that you brought up early in the book or early in one of the interviews was that when cheesemaking was done by the farmer's wife or maybe the farmer himself, a longer intermittent process was desirable, interweaving your other chores. And one of the factors that change in a factory or, or in a business is that you, it's too expensive to wait. You, so you want things that work fast. And you yeah. want things that are predictable and reliable. Right. And I think Evan Larcher talked about this in the interview. It, it, is he the one who brought that up too? Yeah. And, and, you know, and I had, it came up, I think, possibly with Yvonne, but it also came up with Joe Schneider, who mm-hmm. uh, is partnered with Randolph Hodgson of Meals Yard Dairy. They um, developed Stitchelton Dairy and make Stitchelton Blue. Uh, and they were talking about reverting to... Uh, you know, he talked about how long the process is for making Stilton and why it might have been that long. So he actually was the one who talked about, you know, cultures have gotten faster and faster. Yvonne talked about it as well, and that that was partly because we made this move towards, you know, you have to have efficiency, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because you got to keep the costs down. And so it was really, to me, that's one of the most interesting areas of the cheese industry that I really enjoy talking about and learning more about, and mm-hmm. I have no idea what the right answer is or even what the main question is we'd be trying to answer. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. just a really interesting um, facet of the of the industry that I remember when Michael and I drove around the country in 2006 and visited all these cheesemakers we were shocked to learn that many of them were developing recipes in partnership with their culture companies. So mm-hmm. we had this moment back in 2006 of thinking, my gosh, these culture companies have a tremendous amount of power in, in this industry. You know, it's, it's sort of wild. Um, so that started, that kind of got my curiosity mm-hmm. going around cultures, and it's just continued the more I learn, the more kind of questions I have and uncertainty I have about 
you know, is there a direction I'd rather see it go? Like more people making their own cultures or, you know, I don't know, people continuing on as they are. I'm not mm-hmm. really sure. Mm-hmm. Another interesting interview I found was with Liam Callahan. Now, when he says that sheep milk cheese is easy to make, is he is he um, downplaying his talents? Mm. Is it true? I mean, this is one of the science things I don't understand. Is there something about sheep milk cheese that makes it easier to make it delicious? Well, that, that's what he was implying. Are better uh-huh. in Be- sheep milk. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, having never made cheese with sheep's milk myself, mm-hmm. it's really it's hard for me to answer that question from a technical perspective, except mm-hmm. to share that I do know that sheep milk has more fat, more protein, more solids right. than the others. Yes. It's and I twice, almost twice wonder, as much as I milk. don't know that this is true, but I know people worry a lot with goat's milk that you can end up with this very goaty or kind of rustic flavor, you mm-hmm. know, speaking euphemistically. Yes. Um, that seems off to some, to some palates. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that is as big of a concern with sheep's milk uh, but I don't know that. I don't. Yoav, have you ever made uh, cheese with sheep's milk? Um, I've participated in makes, but it, I haven't actually uh, conducted my own make. But it's—I mean—it coagulates like terrifically. Like you need less um, mm-hmm. in the coagulation. It, it, you know, it's so rich in in fat and in in proteins that. Uh, so there is less interference needed. There, um, it, you get a you can get a really supple product out mm-hmm. of it, you know, if you're doing like washed rind, mm-hmm. or you can get like this hard, crumbly, you know, spicy cheese mm-hmm. if you're doing something like a like a Corsican mm-hmm. type of tom, but but um, it, it also is extremely rich in uh, lipas, mm-hmm. and that makes it super, super spicy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been working lately, actually, uh, with uh, Shapes um, lamb, lamb Rennet. And lamb rennet mm. makes the. Mm. Uh, I, I've been using. I've been trying it with different milks, and I've been getting these crazy spicy results and totally different textures with it. And it's it's just been doing phenomenal That's things. That's interesting. Yeah. So that just the rennet will impart more spiciness. Yeah, it has it has the lipase, which is the, the enzyme that that break uh, long fat uh, long chain fatty acids into short chain fatty acids, mm-hmm. and that that creates the spice, the the sharpness, and the flavor. Uh, and it has more of it and a stronger part of it. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's just like it, it goes crazy on the cheese. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, Diane, to answer your original question, I think Liam is quite a humble person. Mm-hmm. And I do think he genuinely believes, like, working with sheep's milk is kind of the easiest and the best. The great irony in what he's saying is, like, getting sheep's milk is really, really hard. You mm-hmm. know, so he's leaving out oh, from this his whole sheep. aspect of, like, mm-hmm. farming, right? Uh-huh. Having, you know, having to manage a herd of sheep, which I know was more his mother's end of their business, but but still, mm-hmm. they, you know, they had a source for sheep's milk, which is unusual to begin with. Right, so some people might do it if it was easier to get. That's right. Okay. Okay. Well, our time is up. I want to thank you both. Sasha, congratulations on your book. And Yoav, thank you so much for joining us. Anytime. And thank you all for tuning in to Cutting the Curd on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find the show as a podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. My next show will be on May 31st when I'll interview Diane St. Clair about her upcoming book, The Animal Farm Buttermilk Cookbook. 
and thanks to Jack Inslee for producing this week's show. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 